0: And this, I guess, kind of may, in a way, get to our main topic. But once you have enough mops on your service, you're only going to be a bunch of sociopaths at that point. So your only incentive is to become the evil one that everyone wants to overthrow.
1: Which actually, you know what? This might even be a good way to introduce the whole podcast here. Because this actually goes into a lot about what the article talks about. Geeks, mops, sociopaths, and subculture evolution um before we get to that i want to go ahead and say welcome everybody to reboot podcast my name is nick i've got my brother jake who we've had many good conversations on this exact topic so i figured he'd be a great person to bring into the first episode go ahead and talk a little bit further about where is it that we're going with subcultures and maybe kind of talk a little bit more about the anatomy of a subculture so without further ado uh welcome jake glad you could be on the podcast here um i know it's our very first one so we're kind of winging it here today but glad to have you how you doing
0: i'm doing good thanks for having me on
1: yeah definitely So main topic today, already stated it, we're talking about the article that kind of sparked this conversation. And you and I have talked about this at length, as I mentioned before, um, but Geeks, Mops, and Sociopaths in Subculture Evolution is the name of the article that kind of uh, crystallizes and simplifies the idea of where subcultures are going. And this is on Meaningness, meaningness.com. This will be in the show notes here. So anybody who's interested in actually reading the article, which highly recommend because it's Very good, a lot of insight in there. Even if you don't fully agree with the um, ultimate story or the ultimate point that it's trying to make, I think it still makes you think very heavily about where is it that subcultures are going. So meaningness.com, geeks, mops, and sociopaths, and subculture evolution. Um, And before we get too deep into it, I do want to mention that this is actually based off of a really good series of essays Um, which let me bring up my notes here that I've actually been reading through myself. Jake, I don't know if you have, but this is for the uh, Gervais Principle. Venkatesh Rao is the author for the series of essays. Uh, Really good. It actually talks a lot more specifically about work culture, um, office culture and such, uh, but it applies, I would argue, in a lot of different ways beyond the office, um, specifically with our topic today, subcultures. Did you ever read those essays? I know you sent the meaningness article to me, but did you ever end up reading the essays?
0: It's been some time, but I've read a few of them. That's for sure. Once I stumbled across his content, uh, I definitely saw a lot of his other essays and went, oh yeah, this guy seems pretty smart.
1: Yeah. I think he's got some really good points. I don't necessarily, and I I think most people would probably, anytime we're talking psychology, I think a lot of people would say, hey, I don't agree with everything, but I think it made some really, really good points. Um, So specifically, let's talk about what are geeks, mops, and sociopaths? Why do we keep reference in this here? Well, the main idea behind this subculture evolution is you have these different categories of people. Specifically, the geeks, you've got the mops, the sociopaths, and there's a fourth one. Do you remember which one that is? Oh, creators, of course. No,
0: uh, so the yeah, up? yeah, geeks and creators can really be considered their own category. Similar, yeah, because geeks. Anonymous.
1: Yeah. Cause geeks include both creators and fanatics
0: basically. Yes. The tagline is geeks, mops, and sociopaths, just the three. So yeah, you can consider geeks to be a kind of an amalgamation of anyone with a certain level of passion.
1: Absolutely. And The main idea behind this whole concept is that the geeks are who start the subculture. They start the scene. You've got the creators who actually create whatever it is, whether that's a new series, maybe a comic, uh, a new book. uh, Maybe they come up with a game of some kind. They're the ones who are going ahead and coming up with the ideas. And the fanatics are the ones who kind of flock to the scene. They go ahead and help the the creators reach their goal. They may not necessarily directly contribute to it, at least in terms of intellectual property or in development in the case of like a video game, for instance, but they would still go ahead and supply their time, their feedback, their money. They would support them in a number of different ways.
0: Yes. So it all comes down to what exactly a subculture kind of begins with. And a subculture begins with these creators, creators with a shared vision. So you have these people who are highly passionate about a particular topic, Particular subject, whatever that happens to be, and they contribute to this overall subculture in one of various different ways. For instance, if the subculture were about comics, you'd have artists who create the comics, you have people who fund the creation of the comics, and basically the idea is that to be considered a geek, you are contributing a creative form. You're contributing to the creation of new content within that subculture.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it can be as simple as doing something like even creating fan art for something that is still a form of fanaticism that goes ahead and contributes to the scene. It may be a little bit on the lesser degree, but I wouldn't, I would still say that definitely puts you in the the category of
0: fanatics and geeks. Yeah, no, that's an incredibly important role. I would never downplay that as anything less important. Uh, Fan culture is exactly what we're talking about. If you have a passion to contribute anything, whether that's you made a fan song, you made a fan fiction, you drew fan art, you, simply created something, anything, and gave it back to the community, that is a form of creation. And that qualifies a person under this sort of geek label. Now, it's important to note that it has to be of something that took some effort. It can't just be, you know, that's where we kind of get into mop culture a bit and how you can kind of define the barrier between them, but we're not quite there. But it's important that there be some effort, expenditure, on the part of the creator, that costs them something that they don't necessarily expect to have any return from.
1: That's a good, good point. There actually is the fact that there is no expected return on that, even even any form of gratification or. Uh, um, but a big thing a lot of people do nowadays, in particular, is people are trying to go ahead and build their own audiences, right? And the main okay. idea behind what I would say are probably older subcultures back before the internet really exploded and social media became kind of this, um, this kind of monster that everybody was trying to feed in one way, shape or form is that it was about just going ahead and creating thing, this thing because you wanted, you just loved it. You just wanted to go ahead and contribute in some way to this thing that you love so much, but without actually receiving something in return. So very good distinction.
0: Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings us into what exactly a mop is in a way, because yep. that's more or less the inevitable next step of a subculture if you will you have these creators you have this content being pushed together everybody's got action energy effort behind their material here and they're all contributing to this subculture it naturally attracts people who want to consume that content Mm -hmm. but not necessarily contribute back and that's really in my opinion what the definition of a moth would be
1: yeah yeah, because I know we've thrown that word out a couple times now, but the mops are kind of your not-quite-fanatics. They're interested, but do they care that much? Eh, it's, it's, it's where they start to get onto that, that line. They, they kind of, that line of, you know, are they actually going to do something about it, or are they just there to go ahead and, and kind of consume it? I like the way that, obviously, the article itself goes ahead and points it out. Mops are fans, but not rabid fans like the fanatics. They show up to have a good time and contribute as little as they reasonably can in exchange.
0: Yes, it's all about how little they contribute. That's the main thing that distinguishes a geek from a mop in this case. A mop, as the name implies, soaks up a bunch of that content, a lot of that water, if you will. It does little else aside from soaking it up. It creates the demand in that subculture for new content. And, well, that demand sort of, if you will, continues to compound. Because there's always yeah. going to be more mops than there are geeks. Always. because just it's how humans are. Yeah. yeah. It's passive. Like you said. So.
1: I wasn't sure if I lost you there. So nope, <laughs> sorry about that. Good. Um, no, completely agreed. Um, yeah. And so mops are probably, so this is where it's tough because, and I, I want to hear your opinion on it. Mops are kind of, again, they're on that line where they are definitely doing the least amount of work possible. They're not really going ahead and contributing. Like you just mentioned, they're really soaking up the experience. That's about it. Now, are mops
0: inherently bad? Not necessarily. They are bad for the subculture. They're bad in several contexts. And I'd say in general, they're mostly bad, but they're not exclusively bad is the big thing. Uh, We all take the role of a mop in certain areas of our lives, if you ask me. For instance, I can watch a movie I'm not particularly a passionate person about whatever subject the movie is uh, pertaining to or whatever subculture, say a Marvel movie would be about. So I would qualify as a mop in that case, but there are subcultures I am actively participant in where I would not be a mop. I would be much more inclined to be a geek, but that's the thing is we all take on these roles in different places in our lives and we're all going to be doing it differently. Some people don't ever become a geek. They're just straight up mops, but that's not everybody.
1: Yeah. Then I, I like your foreshadowing there. talking about Marvel. Uh, good, good, uh, <laughs> good shoehorn there. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think mops, like, I think the the main point that I think about when I, when I really, this is where I started to think, you know, Hey, this, this articles on to something when I started saying, Hey, you know, mops are what dilute the culture. The new mm-hmm. thing, although attractive is more intense and weird and complicated than mops would prefer. So what they have to do is they have to water it down to make it more interesting. Well, not interesting. And to make it more
0: consumer-friendly,
1: digestible. There you go. That's I guess that's kind of where I was ultimately going for. And ultimately,
0: so, when your purpose in that subculture is to soak up, you want as little resistance between yeah. you soaking it up and it coming to you. So the less weird, the less interesting, the less dynamic it happens to be, ultimately the better when it comes to being a mob
1: yeah and i think that's where our discussion about marvel is going to be very interesting but before we get to that i want to go ahead and bring up the final piece of the puzzle a very important piece sociopaths sociopaths are kind of the next step and they are the ones who think a little bit more deviously about
0: the subculture what are your thoughts (laughs) devious is a very generous word. I have no love lost for the sociopaths, Uh, but it's just exactly as the name implies. But a sociopath is an opportunist looking to capitalize on the presence of lots of mops. You see, as mops sort of introduce themselves into a subculture, they tend to bring with them more mops. And eventually a subculture will hit a certain critical mass where there are more mops then there are geeks so much so that there's basically a lot of money being left on the floor by the geek community from said mops, whether that be from the mops attention or directly from their wallets, as they look to fund more and more of what they're looking to just go ahead and mindlessly consume. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that attracts these sociopaths, which are ultimately people who have zero care concern passion whatever you want to call it and put themselves into this subculture under the guise of being a geek or a creative yeah their uh, their the primary thing is just they want the money that comes from being a geek without actually money. being money
1: yeah and i, I think you're problem. right and yeah it's it's in the Money can be part of it, um, but the article goes into the idea that it can be more than just money. It can be a sense of fulfillment. It could be power. I mean, it's essentially the idea is that they're trying to get something for personal gain out of taking advantage of that particular subculture. Exactly. So you're on the right track. Absolutely. Um, and that's where we get a lot of
0: influencers and stuff. So uh, I completely agree.
1: I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could make the argument here that um, a lot of streamers and people that exist out there and influencers are, you know, that's kind of the broad category that I think streamers kind of would be included under. Um, Basically, you know, they're more sociopath than they are geeks. Um, Not everybody. I want to be, I want to stress that I don't think every single streamer out there is, you know, purely interested in their own personal gain. Though I think people tend to lean that direction, especially when your livelihood is focused on it. But um, without further ado, because we'll talk more about sociopaths in the rest of this particular episode here, Um, I think the ultimate conclusion that the article goes into is that ultimately you need to be slightly evil. So you need to be a little bit of a sociopath. And just because you need to be able to control whatever subculture it is that you're directly contributing to, just enough so that you can go ahead and direct its path, but not so much so that you turn into a sociopath and you're the one actually going ahead and essentially actively ruining
0: whatever subculture it is. I may disagree with his conclusions out of that article and yours as well. Um, I think the moment you seek to control such a subculture and such a means and become the sociopath, you are basically under the category of sociopath. There's no real towing the line in my you don't opinion, think so, but that's more or less my opinion on the matter. My takeaway okay. from this is more or less that subcultures under the current system of how we, how we basically do capitalism, if you will, are doomed to always undergo this sort of model. Unless there is some heavy, heavy gatekeeping by the creatives who initially started, which I also can have a hard time more or less justifying and saying I agree with. Do you so think it I'm can come opinion- uh, Kind of.
1: Uh, like a resurgence not- of some kind? It won't be the same, certainly.
0: That's a thing. And I think that's the ultimate thing I have to get to when I'm talking about this, is every subculture is finite. No subculture will last forever because every subculture is doomed to undergo this change model. And everything, whether it's you or I or any subculture we might be talking about, is undergoing a process of becoming one thing that it is not currently. It's evolving. So sure. yes and no is my best answer to that one. Yeah, I agree. Because it will eventually become something else entirely different and completely divorced from what it was originally. Yeah. So, and then the cycle starts again.
1: Yeah. And I I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I'm still of the opinion that you have to be a little bit of a sociopath, but I, I think we're, we're talking more um, varying degrees at that point than, you know, yes or no to that. That portion of it, but I think what you're saying here is perfect opportunity to bring up kind of the first overarching uh, kind of example that I want to go ahead and apply this model to, and that is movies and series, and more specifically, probably the Marvel series uh the Marvel franchise is probably a better way to put it because mm-hmm. Marvel has gotten so big over the last few years. um I forget which phase it is. What phase three? I think phase three was what closed out. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, with attention. the uh, the last of the Infinity. Wars movies um, and then we're basically in phase four, I believe is what it's referred to as right now. Um, oh, good Lord. And I think, yeah, well, and, and so it's interesting to me because I find the Marvel, uh, the words escaping me. I'm finding that the Marvel audience to be a really interesting kind of case study in a lot of different ways. The reason being is I think there's a lot of geeks in the Marvel franchise, but I think that the sociopaths are definitely trying to force it more towards the mop side of things. Um, sure. The sociopaths in this particular case, just to keep abroad, broad, Disney, uh, the owners of the Marvel franchise. Um, though you can certainly go ahead and look at individuals and say, okay, they're probably fitting more of that, um, that sociopath mentality versus the geek mentality. Um, but what are your thoughts there? Marvel, either movies, series, you know, what do you think?
0: So the Marvel uh, franchise, if you will, is probably my favorite punching bag when it comes to this sort oh, of topic. Easily. And I know I that a lot of people who listen are probably going to really
1: it. enjoy... Yeah, I know a lot of people who sure. listen are probably going to really enjoy Marvel. And I got to say, I don't hate the Marvel movies. I've actually enjoyed quite a few of them.
0: But I think they're a really interesting study. Just to I'd rather them to despise them. them. I feel <laughs> like they're pretty much a perfect example of everything I hate about current systems. Um, but basically... I think
1: real quick, I just want to say, I think it's funny because I think you kind of flip-flopped a little bit back and forth. Like there was a period where you were actually enjoying the movies and then you went back and you're like, nah, I don't know. It's it's okay.
0: (laughs) There was a period in my life where I used to go ahead and like, you know, eat things I found on the floor. That doesn't necessarily mean I go ahead and I look back and say, hey, Uh, I should do that again. (laughs) <laughs> so it's one of those things, in my opinion, there's a point where you're like, Oh yeah, this is novel yeah. and new and interesting, but then you go ahead and you examine it a little bit closer. You start to consider what it actually sure. contributes to your life. And you start to go, that's basically just wasting my time. And that's yeah, where I'm I at. Marvel. So sorry, sorry to say yeah. strong feelings, regardless of that fact, let me kind of break it down to how I see it as far as the Marvel. And let me preface, this is just simply my opinion. Regarding this whole thing. So, as far as Marvel is concerned, you had a dedicated, geeky, creative fan base back when Marvel, as well as the comic industry, was in a wholly different place. We're talking early 90s to maybe early 2000s, kind of like the heyday of where comics really became and came into its own as a subculture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back then, you know, movies were never really considered to be. Uh, very highbrow, if they were to use, touch on anything comic related. You always had comic movies out there back in the day, but they were never really anything too serious. Um, and then, of course, that more or less changed as eventually we got around to the Iron Man movie. And then the Iron Man movie yeah. ended up being a wild success, and everyone went, Hey, there's tons of money here. Oh, so sure. To break it down in this model we're talking about, you have the comic book fans you have the geeks the creatives Uh, a subculture itself which was undergoing a similar change itself in fact um but that eventually led into marvel fandom and marvel fandom of course got kicked off by all these geeks and creatives who were just so into the the universe of marvel because it's not just comics at that point it starts to become comics movies toys and so on um and they more or less built themselves a very passionate, energetic community. And it attracted mops. It attracted your everyday consumer. Uh, and the more that you saw the Marvel Universe start to generate more in- energy and more opportunities for capitalization on this energy, that's when you saw more and more mops flocking to this this universe and i'd say the the peak of it all if you ask me or i guess more or less the start of the crest of the wave if you will would have been the original iron man movie uh the original iron man movie really kicked it off as far as i'm concerned it built a whole bunch of energy a whole bunch of news uh it created so much of a a wave in the movie industry that it generated all this attention And with attention comes a whole bunch of mops. And that became your average moving going audience who just clamored for anything Marvel related at the time. And then they started releasing more and more and more of this content until they eventually plumbed it dry. And I think that's where we get to the peak being the infinity war series or whatever it was called. Um, At that point, you can start to see where the influence of sociopaths comes in. And it's easy to say the sociopaths are Disney. Wow. Evil mega corporation is a sociopath. Wow. I could never see that coming. Yeah. Big surprise. Yes. So it comes down to the fact that when you have a bunch of attention, you have a lot of energy as the Marvel, uh, the universe did it created all this opportunity and all this, Potential for capitalization that attracted more and more and more of the sociopath audience, and this sociopath audience found all the ways to find any which way to exploit people's desire to see and consume more content, and then that kind of brings us to the everyday, where just the entirety of it is just uh, people reporting how how dry and Mm -hmm. uh, overdone. a lot of the Marvel universe is. There's toys for everything you can imagine being pumped out by toy companies. You can find Marvel branded just about anything you can possibly desire. I guarantee you there's a Marvel version of it somewhere, somehow. Yeah, And that's sort of where we see the subculture is more or less dying, or if not, in my opinion, fully dead at this point, and is only a culture of mops and sociopaths, the geeks and creatives, or at least the important ones, or the good ones, have all left for their own other pursuits.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I know you're generalizing right now. So obviously, there's still some people that are involved that are very passionate about it. But I would agree that overall, that it's it's kind of tough to stick with it when there is so much of it that's being exploited in one way, shape, or form. So I think the difficulty is going ahead and trying to find the kind of a, a good way to still keep it interesting, um, but to also, <laughs> you know, how do, how do you get back to the original side of things for the Marvel series? And I think that's a really difficult ask because ultimately it has been diluted. It, it We found the least common denominator, we being Disney, has found the least common denominator, how to go ahead and cater to that. And to your point, people are just kind of exhausted by the whole process now at this point so even even the mobs are getting tired of it because there's just too much of it that exists out there and that's i would argue because the magic is gone and you mentioned it because the first iron man movie actually is still one of my all-time favorite movies um robert downey jr is incredibly charismatic in that movie it it was his big real first real big comeback for uh movie making in general after you know he went through a really rough history with drugs and um with relationships and such um but it was a huge return to something that was kind of greater than just your normal fiction and it was very good. The, the plot's actually incredibly simple, but because of the characters and because of the, in my opinion, the cool factor of the Iron Man suits, if Iron Man is a character, it was able to succeed really well. And you can only keep that magic for so long, you know, talk about, you know, trying to bottle lightning. You can't. And the biggest argument right now is how do you keep movie hear movies interesting when, Basically, all of them are like these origin stories. And then they try to get these really out of the box sort of uh, approaches. Things like She-Hulk, which, you know, very uh, people are very opinionated on. Um, Did it drum up interest? Does it drum up discussion? Sure. But is it actually creating fans? Is it continuing to do what the sociopaths are hoping? Probably not in long term. So I think, yeah, Marvel's a good one. Um, I've got a, a friend of ours who is huge into collecting comics, but he's been collecting comics well before the Marvel Cinematic Universe became a thing. And so he's still into it because that is a huge part of what he enjoys, what he loves. He's more into the old school comics, specifically the golden age and the silver age comics. And he's, he's starting to actually even enjoy a little bit of the copper age stuff that exists out there. Um, but like he's not as big into the the newer stuff because the comic series is, I don't know how much you've looked at them. I know you're not as big into Marvel. Um, Can't but, say no. Yeah. A lot of the newer series, it the mixed opinions. I mean, I, I haven't really read much of it to be completely honest, so I don't really have much of an opinion on it, but it seems more like they're interested in trying to racially diversify, but beyond that, just kind of diversify the idea of a hero as a whole. And it just kind of feels like the way is lost as to where they're going with all of this stuff. It seems more like they have
0: to churn the stuff out because it's it's what people demand versus, you know, people actually care about this stuff. So I think it's important to preface. um, When we talk about geeks versus sociopaths, sociopaths create content, but it's important to know that this content that sociopaths create is of much lower quality than that of a passionate creative individual who's genuinely caring about that subculture as opposed to being entirely profit-motivated. So that's important to preface beforehand. But it's also important to note that no subculture can exist in perpetuity. It really is not possible for a subculture to just continue going and creating new things forever and ever perpetually and nobody ever gets upset with it. It's much like mining ore when we dig out ore from the ground we find a vein it's rich it's beautiful it's got a whole bunch of stuff in it and we take it out and we use it but you taking it out of the ground it's not coming back and eventually you start to run out of the really good quality really rich stuff you start to only find the small lesser quality offshoots of that vein and you have to kind of dig harder. You have to really try to mine just that lower quality mind or itself. This mm-hmm, is exactly mm-hmm. the same with subcultures. And I think whenever anyone complains about, oh, well, it's not as good as the other stuff back in the day, that's expected. Because the it's audience has yeah. grown tired of the content. They've run out of the rich beautiful material, that ore is run dry, and now the only ore that is left, the only money left on the table, exists in these harder-to-reach sub-communities. These sub subcultures of, you know, uh, LGBT or marginalized communities or anything else like that that are still in existence after all the good stuff has been... Uh, I should say good stuff because it's some bad implications there, but all the easy pickings all the regular mainstream content is more or less dried up yeah all that's left is these marginalized communities to cater towards and that's what the sociopaths are going to do they just want the money they're going to go for where the money is and since all the money is drying up elsewhere they move into other subcultures that's a good point
1: yeah and i mean because those marginalized communities i mean obviously you know race and gender are a big part big topic nowadays but beyond that you talk about like the other more kind of like lesser represented sections of the community. So I would argue for instance, like Marvel just kind of continue with this example, but I want to go ahead and move into a, another example here shortly. Ooh. Marvel just to continue it has kind of dabbled. I wouldn't call it actually horror, but they've kind of dabbled in a little bit more and they're like, Hey, what if we kind of spice things up by changing the genre a little bit? And so they're kind of to your point, they're trying to go ahead and change things up a little bit further. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking more to, um, Uh, Doctor Strange uh, Multiverse uh, Madness, where they tried to go ahead and make it a little bit more spooky, a little bit scarier. And you look at even um, uh, what's the Scarlet Witch um, show that's on Netflix. Um, I forget the name of it right off the bat. But basically the show kind of went the route of being in, you know, 50s, 60s sitcom. And again, it was more of that kind of surrealist, trippy sort of approach to it. So they're clearly trying different things and it's gotten some pretty good reception. I'll be completely honest. I'll disclose right here. I've watched very little of all of this stuff that exists out there. I've watched a lot of commentary more just because I'm interested to see what people think about it. I think that I think that's what's funny to me is I've gone beyond like actually enjoying the subcultures itself. I'm actually just more interested in seeing what what did the fans think? are people enjoying this stuff? Like, what are their opinions here? Like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. It's almost like there's more of the uh, kind of the examination uh, kind of sociologist in me is more interested in seeing, seeing how these communities are doing. Um, But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right where you are eventually going to get away from what the original, vision of the geekdom was, and eventually turns into something completely different,
0: which is a great segue. Oh, hold on. I have some things I want to say about this real quick. Let me go ahead and close out, because I know when I talk about this stuff, and particularly in this vein of Marvel here, it can sound pretty bleak for anyone who may have once been or may be a fan of these subcultures. But I think you bring up a good point. It's where they start to delve into these more experimental paths they notice that the money is drying up so they try new things don't discount that because if you recall what i said when a subculture dies it goes through a process of metamorphosis into something new absolutely so the layer of hope you have to keep to the kind of ringing truth of yes every subculture is fated to die but from its corpse will arise a completely new subculture when you talk yeah. about these experimental uh, uh, ch- sort of different ways of creating content that these companies do, those that content itself is not going to go very far, but it will potentially spawn the next big thing because yeah. it's reaching those marginalized communities. The thing people need to understand is that Subcultures tend to come from highly passionate people who are unable to find an outlet for that passion anywhere else. So if you want to find the real meat of where subcultures are birthed, the the crucible upon which where this content comes from, look to marginalized communities and their passions. Because yeah. those will Agreed. ultimately branch out into these mainstream. Huge subcultures that will eventually just dominate whatever it is we have going on in pop culture or whatever. So no, that's I, the I big mean, ring of hope. You yeah, keep to
1: I think you're absolutely correct, um, and I've got some great examples. So that might even be a good, um, good, uh, another episode to do at some point in the future because I completely agree. Um, things will change. Right. You know, as we're discussing here, eventually the subculture is going to die. But is assuming that people are still passionate about it, then it'll turn into something else. So there is hope in that respect. I would definitely agree there. Plus, worst case, you can just enjoy the old stuff. I mean, that's hard in some ways, but at uh, least the old stuff kind of
0: exists in some Sure. Way. Yes, but you can only rewatch the same material over and over until you eventually you lose that. its ability to really nah. move you. I-
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not, not as, um, maybe it's not as poignant. Um, but I would say that things like uh, Lord of the Rings, for instance, like sure. my wife and I love Lord of the Rings. Like we, we, we've watched the movies. I can't tell you how many times, like the original trilogy, like, like the extended editions, like we quote basically the whole thing at this point. Um, we just love it. And, we're probably more. And this is a funny thing to say. As a matter of fact, uh, we're probably more moppish when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Um, we definitely really enjoy it. You know, we've read books. Uh, we follow a lot of the other aspects, but we don't necessarily contribute to the community as a whole. So, I think there's there's more nuances to subcultures, but yeah, they do change over time. Sure. So we'll leave that there. But Nothing lasts forever. Yeah, well, I will completely agree. But you can still go back and watch the old movies. Is my point? Because I mean, I love those movies. Sure. Um, but anyways, great segue originally going into talking about how things change. Um, I think a great example of something that is going undergoing some incredible change these days are a couple of the Wizards of the Coast's properties, specifically Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Um, quick history, at least in terms of what's been going on this last couple months. Um, there's a lot of it out there. We're probably not going to go into too much detail. We're not really interested in r- reporting on what specifically happened, but just to bring everybody up to speed. Uh, magic, the gathering has been, um, from even like from a shareholder's perspective, magic, the gathering has been under a very fine tooth car has been combed with a fine tooth comb. It's been under the lens as of late because a lot of shareholders who don't necessarily care, we're talking sociopaths here who don't necessarily care about the game itself have noticed that, Hey, you know, the geeks that are out there that are really contributing and spending their time and their money that's kind of drying up. And so they are kind of going after wizards because, well, you've got this game that a lot of people have been passionate about for 30 years now, and it's kind of gone up in flames very slowly with their, the reputation. Um, More specifically, the most recent uh, 30th anniversary edition of the original set of magic the gathering, the alpha cards. Um, There were some changes to the cards themselves. And then not only that, but they were selling randomized boosters for what essentially amounted to being 15 randomized cards for $250 a pop. And that's kind of disgusting in a lot of different ways. And so that's kind of a good example of where the sociopaths have tried to go ahead and exploit this very geeky side of the community, exploit the mops, exploit the geeks. Um, But beyond that is also Dungeons and Dragons with their most recent, um, I would say light attack is technically what it was. They were certainly going, trying to go ahead and be very sneaky. Um, Uh, they wanted to go ahead and basically force creators to go ahead and abide by these new rules. Their open game license uh, was being changed actively, and that kind of caused a bit of a an uproar, understandably so. Um, and then beyond that is the D&D 1 is changing quite a bit as well. So I mean, things are evolving. Now, whether or not they're good things, um, I, I think there's good aspects, but I think a lot of people would agree this just isn't what it used to be.
0: Yes, so I think I I can't really speak to the Magic the Gathering because that's, in my opinion, a bit of an anomaly when we're talking about this, as it's almost entirely always been sociopaths um, and a few uh, mops. as far as I'm concerned. I don't see much about the creative subculture behind Magic because it always began as this sort of, in my opinion, rather soulless cash grab. Interesting. Um, that's just my take on it, but I can't say I'm. Yeah, I'm going to disagree,
1: exception. but you know we can get in that discussion okay. later. But
0: anyways, but sorry. going on over to the D and D side, the D and D side to me is a perfect example of a case study in what happens when a culture uh, blooms, attracts a bunch of this energy and attention from monks, and after attracting all this energy and attention, the sharks and sociopaths start to come out and start to see that there's profit to be made in the past decade or so. And I think it's only been really a few decades. That's really sort of, you see the curve of attention go to D and D, but um, in the past decade or so, I would say we've seen an explosion in the attention that this subculture has had. Sure. You start to see some of the largest creators on Twitch, for instance, live streaming are D D role-playing games. Not just yeah. Critical Role, which is the largest earner on the Twitch platform by far, oh, yeah. but also all these other smaller games that just attract these huge, passionate audiences. So we're, we're in the process, in a way, of looking at this change in real time. I see that you have all these mops, these people just consuming this content passionately, very very much chomping at the bit for more and more of this content so they can just have it. And then you're starting to see that the companies in charge, the the investors behind the scenes are starting to see this, hey, there's so much money here. We need to start taking more advantage of it. Oh sure. Now, I personally don't think that the changes to the OpenGL were all that bad. Anybody with a semblance of copyright law can kind of see that uh, yep. you know uh, the copyright was more about the creative properties of D and D and not the rules and game system itself, which, yeah, but that comes into how influencers were more or less the outrage machine online of all these social media influencers are also taking the place of these sociopaths. In my opinion, that's the biggest thing is it's not just the companies. It's all the people with a profit incentive to move in, yeah. And start trying to take their money and attention. Well,
1: and you're absolutely right. Cause I mean, what's, what's really popular in influencer culture and specifically with streamers or video creators. Well, what it draws a lot of attention, anger, um, when you mm-hmm. go ahead and you rag on something um, when you go ahead and you, you know, you explain why something is being done incorrectly. If you can start, you know, calling other people names like that. That's a great way to get people to watch your stuff. And admittedly, I'm kind of in that boat because when that whole thing was going down, I watched a ton of videos on it because I was, again, kind of fascinated with, you know, what are people's thoughts? What do do people think about this sort of stuff? And I would agree. When you actually look at what was being changed, um, I think it was was nefarious. Um, It was definitely to go ahead and to tighten the grip on the community a little bit further. Um, You're correct in the sense that the copyright side of things is really only going to focus on the creative side. They can't really go ahead and uh, take the rule system, though I would argue that I think their intent was to go more towards the like, hey, let's try to convince people that we can copyright the rule system, even though technically they can't do something like that. I think there was a bit of a kind of a, an intention to mislead people. But I think that's got quashed pretty quickly because at least, you know, people were looking pretty heavily at that stuff and said, I don't know about this, but without going too much into that, I think, um, what's really interesting about Dungeons and Dragons and for anybody listening, just so we understand both Jake and myself have been playing Dungeons and Dragons and other you know, D20 systems and other role-playing systems for, what, 20, 25 years at this point, like we played most of
0: my adult life. Hey, yeah. I mean, well, even, even beyond adult life, heck,
1: we we got our first Dungeons and Dragons books back in 2002, 2003. I don't remember exactly what it was. Like and we that. were making stuff up and playing poorly back then too. So, but, so, and this is, this is something we kind of have experienced. I would say that Dungeons and Dragons has in some ways stayed the same, in other ways has kind of lost its vision. And I think that's largely sociopath, but I, I think it's mock related as well. The reason I say that, and you, it's funny, I wanted to point it out, but I did not want to stop your train of thought, is you mentioned how, you know, you've got this, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, people were chomping to the bit for more. What's funny to me is the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons is to be able to create your own worlds, to be able to create your own systems. It's almost like, and I think this is intentional, I think a lot of the sociopaths and a lot of these subcultures have intentionally gone ahead and created these invisible guardrails and told people, hey, unless you're playing the real thing, you're not playing the game, which is not true. Because a lot of these games, specifically pen and paper and board games, you can make up whatever you want. The house rules are the name of the game. And I get that people don't have infinite time to go ahead and prepare their own stuff. So I get that people want something that they can go ahead and quickly digest. Again, we're talking mops, um, but that's, I I see where they're coming from. And I, I just think it's interesting that that's how much it's changed over the years. When I look back on the books that we had, it was very few of them were adventures. There were certainly adventure paths and things like that. I think there's been a huge focus on world building and adventure paths nowadays this decade than the last couple decades whereas you know when we first started playing it was really rule systems it was how do we go ahead and create a system based around you know castle creation um i've still got the strongholders builders guide um from 3.5 for dungeons and dragons that was one of my favorite books because i loved the idea of going ahead and creating these intricate dungeons with you know rules very crunchy rules to go ahead and uh, help support it that kind of exists nowadays, but because mops have kind of entered into the scene, the system as a whole has had to be, kind of simplify itself. And it's just, I find it interesting. I don't really have any comment to say, you know, it's right or wrong. Um, it's just interesting to me how much the system has changed so heavily over the last 20 years.
0: Sure. Now that's, again, you have to understand that like mops aren't there to create. So when you say uh, that completely, oh yeah. The the that's why I'm saying, yeah,
1: ultimately that makes op- sense.
0: Yeah, there's nothing stopping people from creating their own games. There's nothing stopping you and I running out into the woods and pretending we're wood elves for like two days. Hey, I've done that before, okay? Okay, well, you know. Like unironically. (laughs) Dude, I know. (laughs) That's what I'm more or less getting at. But yes, so it comes down to when it comes to modern society, we have more people online, more leisure time than we've ever had in history. And we want content. We want to mindlessly consume content. And now we have these devices all around us, like these smartphones, these mobiles, these laptops, these desktops, these computers, just ubiquitous in our lives. And they allow us to consume content at such a rapid rate, super passively in a way. It's almost like digital drugs of sorts. Oh, we're just spoon feeding ourselves continuously. So you have this huge audience of mops that you never had in the past. And of course, yeah, every single one of these people could go out there and set up their own D&D game. But that takes more effort than being a mop. That would require you to be a geek. And being a mop is infinitely easier. So why not just watch some people sure. play D&D online and soak up that content? So, yeah, I think D&D, again... Perfect example of a subculture that we're seeing this exact model play out. It is the sharks are moving in. The sociopaths are making themselves known. You're going to start seeing the lower quality content coming from these people. It's going to look polished. It's going to look cool. Yeah, the exterior all, until had, into it. Exactly. It's not going to have any of that passion. It's not going to have any of that drive that originally got us all to this point. So as with every subculture, it will eventually end.
1: Well, and and to your point, and as we talked about earlier, it's not going to end necessarily. Like it's not going to just disappear entirely. It's going to change, which it has already. I mean, a large portion of the people who did 3.5 for Dungeons and Dragons and started to work towards 4, 4th edition specifically, um, ended up creating Paizo. And now you've got the Pathfinder system, which my my group has faithfully faithfully played for like the last seven years. And uh, now we're on Pathfinder two, um, which we love a lot. So that's, that's what's going to happen is it's, it's going to continually change. There's going to be new systems that sprout from this. Um, there's a bunch of pen and paper, um, yeah, you had a better word for it, but basically subcultures that have started to sprout up that are much smaller, marginalized. I think is what you were saying earlier. That are a little Not bit necessarily more marginalized, marginalized but subcultures.
0: Yeah, yeah subcultures. That's, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sub sub subculture um, that have started to spread out that are a little bit more esoteric, a little bit more nuanced, and kind of niche, in exactly what they're trying to fulfill. They're so weird. it's going to continue to happen. Hmm? They're weird. That's well, the oh, they're weird, and weird's cool. Depending on what it but, is. Everyone has their own weird
0: fascinations. Weird is why people don't necessarily gravitate to it when they're mops. Oh, completely. Again, that's Not sort exactly. of the reason why subcultures are born. But yeah, you're right. You're getting onto the exact same topic as I am. Is Everything's under this evolutionary pull of changing into something it never was and then completely turning into something different, completely divorced yeah. from what it was. And yeah. it's important to say that Just because it looks like D&D now doesn't mean it's going to look like D&D in the future. Heck, we may not even recognize it as being a child or evolution of D&D in the future. Oh, We don't
1: know. Yeah, we have no idea what's going to happen with it. So I I completely agree. Um, I think, yeah, to your point, obviously the reason why we wanted to talk about it today, Dungeons & Dragons is a great example of just exactly how that evolution changes. It's interesting. Subcultures, you know, they sprout up and eventually they die. Um, it kind of brings to the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Now, this is going to be a little bit different because we've talked very pop culture with both Marvel and with Dungeons & Dragons, Wizards of the Coast, you know, Magic the Gathering. Um, main thing I want to talk about you because it's what you do for a profession, or at least it's involved with what you do for a profession, is open source. Because um, open source is in its own way, its own s- separate subculture, has a lot of geeks. And I think open source in particular kind of leads and leans more towards a geek friendly environment mostly due to the fact that you have to understand it. There's a rule system behind it. You have to contribute to it. And then arguably most importantly, probably the, the, the actual thing that's going to help uh, subcultures endure is that it's essentially free. It's open source. So that's
0: a one way to ensure that the sociopaths are at least marginalized. So, yeah, um, So open source software in particular, it's a very nuanced and wide spectrum of different subcultures, if you really think about it. In fact, I'd say every single piece of open source software is its own subculture to a degree, kind of these micro subcultures of sorts. And yeah, you're right. Uh, Most open source software, if not all open source software, except for maybe a few larger projects, start as just simply passion projects by some very motivated and rather altruistic people. They are looking to go ahead and just simply create something and provide it to others. And by doing so, they tend to create a little community around their software. Now it's nowhere on the same level as anything like entertainment, because again, we're talking about something that's much more related to profession, to work, to getting things done. So it has a bit of a different dynamic. But you still see a lot of the same principles apply, in my opinion. Now, it doesn't show up the same way it always does with, say, again, entertainment. But you'll have projects that start as a very nice passion project for somebody, uh, draws a lot of attention, a community, a bunch of people start using it. And of course, once a piece of software starts to see a lot of usage, tends to mean it's pretty useful. And when it's pretty useful, that means companies are more likely to fork yeah. it, ex- embrace it, and by embracing it, trying and go ahead and taking it over, more or less controlling it. Yeah. We've seen this happen with Microsoft. We've seen this happen with Oracle, infamously. Um, this happens all across the board with various companies and not even just companies. Like There will be people who start their own business. Uh, one man organization just so they can try and take over a project if you will so it is something that plays out with the geek mop, and sociopath absolutely so. yeah
1: i i think that's a that's the main reason i wanted to bring it up because to your point it you put it very eloquently it's not entertainment but it still falls under the same kind of category and in some ways i think it's just as prone, if not more prone, because it is work related. There is money to be had there. So if you can, if someone can go ahead and take control of it, then there is profit to be made because it specifically has intrinsic value for it. Um, It makes life easier or it accomplishes a task that was maybe a little bit harder beforehand. So there is value in going ahead and capturing and taking that for themselves. Um, So I think to kind of wrap up our discussion here, the main reason why I think when you, you brought up, you know, obviously we were trying to talk about like, all right, where we want to go with the whole, you know, geek side of things. And I brought up tech and you went specifically to open source. I thought that was a great example is open source generally again is free. Do you think that subcultures need to remain free in order to go ahead and last longer? Cause I don't think it, it'll ever not die. Eventually it's going to die in one way, shape or form, but is a way of preserving that, essentially making everything open
0: source in some way. Basically, the question is, is there a way to make money and not feel like a sociopath? Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Well, that's a, I think mean, that's a separate question. Um, you can answer that question if you'd rather answer sure. that question. My point no, is more I,
0: like... Uh, do you,
1: and I, I mean, it's kind of asking the to, to be the had.
0: Is there yeah, a balance true, to be true. had is more or less what I'm getting from your question there. Is there a way to be on the good side of being a geek on the, the righteous path, if you will, while still being able to make a, a tidy profit or make a little money. And well, I'd I say most people just want to live is. off. Yeah. Just be able to survive. And sorry, sure. what did you say? And I'd say, yes, there is. Um, I think tech is a really good example of where this may actually work out. However, I do caution anyone from thinking that this is a sustainable, uh, way of doing things. Because if we were to talk about open source, one of the reasons why I like technology and software in particular is it's always about solving problems. It's how do I solve for X as a problem? And in fact, that problem can be just about anything you can think of. In fact, one of those problems could be how do I stop people from taking advantage of my open source project? And that's where you can see some open source projects where creators are able to go ahead and set themselves up as support models where they are passionately contributing to this small community of theirs, of this project that their community absolutely loves and takes advantage. Mm -hmm. And they can uh, comprise themselves as a sort of support model. They can charge for the ability to consult support, and deal with their particular passionate software. But that's the thing is, there's nothing saying a geek can't make money from its content. There, mm-hmm. Let's talk anything else. Let's see fan fiction, for instance. If there were a particular franchise, if we're going back to entertainment here, you can get money for writing a particularly well-loved piece of fan fiction. You can make money making commissions for fan art. There's nothing saying you can't make money when you're a creator. The thing to understand, however, is that does not sustain. As we were talking about, subcultures are inevitably doomed to expand and die, so to speak. And if you're doing any good within your subculture, and you're making money as a geek, as a contributor, as a content maker, you will eventually get to a point where you have a larger audience and people start to make note of how you're making your money. So at that point, you're eventually asking for sociopaths to move in and provide people with a less passionate alternative to what you're providing them. Yeah,
1: and in theory, they're going to financially exploit it to a point where they can steal from the geek, essentially.
0: Yeah, their arsenal of tools that they can utilize will outweigh and outperform yours as a geek. That is a simple truth and a simple matter.
1: So that goes back to my original question, which is, so then by making it open source, by making it free, by having creators who do not ask for anything in return, does that extend the
0: lifespan of the soap culture? Kind of, yeah. Um, We see this in some others. So again tech is about trying to make solutions to problems again one of the problems that people have had in the past is these sociopaths coming in and trying to take over projects so we see uh particular pieces of software like the the GNU tools for instance mm-hmm. um long story short basically back in like the genesis age of technology and software there's a guy by the name of richard stallman um kind of controversial figure nowadays, but back in the day he wrote himself a legal license because he wanted to provide people with free software that couldn't be essentially overtaken by a corporation or somebody with a serious profit motive trying to just take over the project. So this license, this GNU GPL free license, as we now call it, or one of the GPLs, it depends on which version we're talking about. Uh, This license is particularly used as a way of combating the takeover process. And whether or not it's the most effective is more or less debatable. But the way that, uh, in my opinion, the best way it has had a defense against this sociopathic takeover process is by making the license viral. Basically, what it means is that when a, uh, when a company were to implement a piece of software that is protected by this license, anything that they use that piece of software for is also protected under the same exact license. Hmm. And the license explicitly says, hey, you're not allowed to do X, Y, Z for this. This is free open software. so if you were to as a corporation in fact a lot of software companies like the one i work at have to worry about this if they end up using a piece of software that was written online that is protected by this license and they incorporate it into their software that they're building suddenly their software that they're building is now suddenly free and open source yeah and there are a lot of legal cases about this and Uh, It more or less explains some of the issues Oracle has had, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, That does make a lot of sense, though.
0: It's a little technical. It's a little above board, but it's an example of how this is not a new problem for anybody. This has always been a case of issues that people have been facing. In the tech world, they've tried to look at solving it. Whether or not it's fully solved it, I don't know. But you can theoretically extend the lifespan of a subculture by more or less trying your damnedest to gatekeep out sociopaths.
1: Yeah. But that takes more work. And that's not what geeks are passionate about in the same way.
0: So uh, it takes rough. more work, but it also changes the dynamic of your oh, subculture great. immensely. GNU and the, the the GPL-based software has become such a controversial figure that its entire subculture has more or less adopted a whole new persona of you know, anti-authoritarian, libertarian nonsense. Sure.
1: No, I think that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where things go in the future, both with software, but just with like entertainment as a whole. Um, I think my final thoughts on everything is I think that in the future, um, don't know when, I'm not going to put a time frame to it, but I think in the future, there is going to be some form of a resurgence of subcultures that gets away from the corporate side of things. Um, I don't think it's going to fully happen. I'm not saying that it's like all of a sudden Hasbro is going to go ahead and release Wizards of the Coast, Wizards of the Coast has become privatized. And all of a sudden it's just geeks running the the show again. You know, they make everything more inexpensive and they, they stop anything that's, you know, a special edition pack or something to that effect. Um, but I do think that eventually people are going to catch on that. Hey, this is just not working. I mean, look at movies. Movies are kind of already in that boat where people are kind of tired of things just getting recycled. Because it's, you know, it's much safer for Hollywood and a lot of the other studios. You know, kind of Hollywood is in the broad term to go ahead and just rehash a series that they know was previously successful. And then, you know, market it that way versus going ahead and creating something entirely new. So I think people are starting to catch on to that. I think it'll eventually crescendo to, you know, some cultures and geek cultures as a whole. What it's going to look like. How effective it's going to be? I have no idea. But I think there's a bit of a reckoning that's going to be due at some point in the future. I think you might be kidding
0: yourself there, to be honest. I mean, I'll tell you why. You know,
1: know I'm an optimist.
0: Sure. Uh, I think the big thing to understand with this, and I think this might be my wrap up thoughts on the matter, is again, the first and foremost thing to know is not to fear change. Because evolution is inevitable, change is inevitable, and every subculture will inevitably go through all these steps. The reason being is again, content needs to be created. If content is created by creative geek individuals, it becomes in demand by another subculture of mops who don't create content and the mops multiply. So they clamber for more and more content which eventually leads to the sociopaths moving in and destroying the subculture. You cannot get away from that dynamic. We don't live in an art based economy. We don't live in a world in which every single participant of a subculture is themselves a geek slash creator. That is just simply not true because that's just simply not how humans work. It's not possible to have a subculture be entirely sustainable off of every single member being a contributor. Sure. Just not how that works.
1: No. And I, I don't think mops are going away by any means, but I think from a societal standpoint, there's still ebbs and flows of subcultures. And I would argue that we're in kind of a, a period where subcultures are generally more run by sociopaths than geeks presently. There are always new subcultures being born, but I think a lot of the bigger ones that exist out there that have been kind of these pillars for so long are slowly getting taken over by the sociopaths. And I do think there's going to be at least a bit of a, an aha moment for a lot of these probably people who are probably more borderline geek mop versus just straight mops um, that'll say, okay, Hey, this is not working out. We need to find a a better system for that. And again, because of when we talk about subcultures, there's a bunch of different subcultures that exist out there. So I can't point to subcultures because subcultures is just an idea. It is not what actually exists out there, if that even makes any sense. So I, I think I, I just think there's going to be kind of a bit of a, um, a mentality shift in a lot of true geeks out there to be a little bit more guarded. And I think that's already started to take place. So I don't think it's going to be sure. uh, all of a sudden just going to happen. I just think that more and more geeks are going to become skeptical of these things.
0: I would say you're both right and wrong. The reasons why you're right is simply because I do think just like we have in the past, you're going to have a backlash. This comes in the form of punk culture, if you will, or rock and roll culture, which is anti-establishment, anti-system. We're going to try something new, which spawns a new subculture. And I think you're also wrong because if you really think about it this way, it may seem like the world has simply come to have a bunch of these subcultures be dominated by sociopaths. But if I might be so bold, that is simply yours and mine's perception because of our age, these subcultures that we think of, and we look to as examples of this occurring are the subcultures that we grew up with. I knew you'd say it. That's the thing. And that's where I'm saying there's just as many subcultures that are just getting started that you and I are not completely aware of, because so, we are don't we don't exist in those subcultures. We're not aware of them. We're mops, and we'll be we mops when they become mainstream. Well, we are not entirely. <laughs> don't get me wrong. We're not mops. Again, you are mops in certain areas. Yeah, you are exactly. geek in other areas. I guarantee That's you, exactly. yeah. almost everybody's a sociopath in some other way. Yeah. Um, so you, every person fluctuates between. these. But we're gonna be mops when. Whatever the next subculture that's just now getting started becomes the mainstream, because we're not a part of that initial subculture. We're not the geeks that are passionate. Yeah, you're right. So I I think that's the thing to understand is this is just an endless cycle, man. We're just here for the ride. I was just gonna say we're just along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. We're just
1: destined to be crotchety old men. Is basically what you're telling me.
0: I mean, everybody's destined to be there, man. I don't know what to tell you there. If you haven't made peace with the fact that you're going to be old, then I got news for you, buddy.
1: No, I think it's good. Um, Well, Jake, really appreciate you being on. Uh, Thanks so much for having the discussion today. Um, I think this is definitely a topic that you and I, we've talked at length before, and I'm sure we could continue to exhaust this topic. And who knows, maybe we come back to it at some point in the future um, with a a fresh look on it or some other take that we want to go ahead and examine. But I think at least for the time being,
0: a great place to start for the very first episode of Reboot Culture. So
1: Jake, once again, thank you for being on here. Hopefully we can have you again in the future.
0: Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.
1: Great. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Feel free to go ahead and hit the subscribe, the likes, anything else that exists on whatever platform you're listening on to right now. Um, But other than that, hope you have yourselves a great day and we'll hear from you soon. Mop it up.